Am I on? Yeah? All right. All right. Happy birthday, Madeline. Yeah. I was actually thinking, who are we going to sing happy birthday today to? I honestly thought that today. <laughs> Nobody. Okay. <laughs> ah. <laughs> yeah, I got you. I got you. I have to explain that to everybody now. Um, <laughs> welcome, everyone. I am glad to uh, be here. Um, let's uh, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that, Lord, you are in control, Lord. Lord, that you have brought us together. Lord, that you've blessed us to see another day. Lord, we ask that you just open our hearts and minds, Lord. Help us to focus and worship you, Father God. Help us to continue in a spirit and atmosphere um, of focusing on you. As you prepare us for the coming week, Lord, help us to be sensitive to you. Help us to hear from you, Father, but also help us to be obedient to your calling. Lord, as you open your word, let us, Lord, reflect on those things that you have uh, placed in our hearts, Lord. Help us to encourage one another, Father God. Help us to all glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So I'd like to start um, by recounting a, a story um, that I heard. And this is a really good story. I, I heard it months ago, maybe even, maybe even like a year ago. Um, and when I heard it, I'm like, wow, that's a really good just illustration for a lot of things. Um, but it's particularly appropriate today. Um, anybody heard of a radio program called This American Life? Yeah. It's, it's, it's a podcast. Um, and so for those of you who don't know what podcast is, um, just go on your computer and type in This American Life. Um, for those of you who don't know how to do that, ask your children to do it. Um, <laughs> They, they basically are talking about different topics each week, um, and it's just somebody narrating. It's, it, you know, it's no screen, it's just you know, kind of like radio. Um, so the stories have to be good. Uh, but this is a story that stuck with me, um, and, and I've always thought about it over the months, but today I think it's particularly appropriate. So the story starts with a, a fella, he's a father, um, and his daughter is four years old. So it's dad and daughter, um, and it's around early December, and they're looking forward to Christmas. So the Christmas season is upon them, and they're excited about it. The decorations are going up. And his daughter's at that age, he says, where she's now beginning to, you know, look around and make sense of things and ask certain questions. And so she asks him one day, hey, Daddy, wh what is Christmas? And so now the dad is like, hey, this is an opportunity, you know, to talk about what Christmas is with my daughter. And so he starts to describe, well, Christmas is Jesus' birthday. And so he starts to tell her a bit about Jesus, and, and she's fascinated. And so he goes and actually gets her a children's Bible, a kid's Bible, um, and she loves it. So he says each night they stay up and they actually read from the children's Bible. She's fascinated by it. She's really into it. Um, he says she keeps going back and asking him about, you know, Daddy, what's, what's that thing that Jesus is always talking about? And what she's referring to in her children's Bible is Jesus saying, Jesus' message, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, the golden rule. Um, and she always is fascinated by that and asking Daddy about that. And so they talk a lot about that. Um, and time goes on, and she's, she's one of those kids who honestly just loves to hear about Jesus and Jesus' message. And I think any parent would, would really appreciate that, especially if you're a parent of a four-year-old. Um, where you know do unto others as you would have them do unto you is a lesson that you have to teach them over and over again um, when they encounter other kids who want their toys, things like that. And so this was a good start. A couple months later, they are actually driving and they pass a church, one of those old churches. And on the front, Dad says, the church has this huge crucifix. Um, a crucifix, obviously, is a statue of Jesus. Um, but, you know, it's not the Jesus that he's been talking about in the children's Bible. It's, it's the Jesus who is on the cross, beaten, bloodied, nailed up there. And the daughter looks out and sees this, and she's four, so she's like, Daddy, who's, who's that? Now, anybody who's a parent who's got a little kid, you know that certain, certain conversations are not easy to have. Um, and he's like, oh, right, right. 
Um, so he sort of stumbles over this a bit. He's like, you know, there's, there's some things about Jesus I, I guess I forgot to tell you. Um, and so he stumbles through this explanation um, of, well, you know, Jesus, uh, eventually what, what happened to Jesus is, you know, he, he ran afoul of the government. See where this is going. This, does not, this is not computing to this child. Um, and yeah, I guess the, the things that he was saying, you know, his message, it just unnerved a lot of people, and it was just too challenging. And so ultimately, you know, they decided he had to die. So uh, they, they killed him, and that, that's Jesus. Well, that was an uncomfortable conversation. Not an easy one to have with a four-year-old. One who was actually invested in Jesus and had this idea that Jesus was wonderful and everything was like kittens and puppies. Christmas Jesus. Shortly thereafter, it was a day kind of like today, um, and it was Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. So same weekend that we are now. And so there was no school. So the dad decided, I'm going to actually take some time off, and we'll go out and we'll play, and then we'll do lunch together, so it's dad and daughter day. And so they go to a restaurant to eat, and in the restaurant they've got newspapers, and in one of the newspapers they got a big picture of Martin Luther King Jr. And daughter says, um, Daddy, who's that? And dad says, oh, that, that's, that's Martin Luther King Jr. That's the holiday. That's why there's no school today. This is why we celebrate his birthday. They said, well, who was he? And so, again, one of these things, or how much do you tell a four-year-old in terms of this context? He said, well, uh, he, he, he's a good man. He was, he's a preacher. And his daughter perked up. He preached for Jesus? And dad's like, yeah, yeah, he, he, he was a preacher for Jesus. Um, you know, and he, he, he had this message. You know, he, he was really known for a particular message that he had. Um, and daughter's like, well, what, what was his message? And dad's like, okay, how do I wade into this one? Um, and he basically said, well, um, he, he wanted people to make sure that they treated everybody fairly, treated everybody equally, no matter what they looked like. Good explanation from a dad to a four-year-old. And his daughter said, huh. She thought about it for a minute. She said, well, that's what Jesus said. And dad said, yeah, I guess that is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I, I, I guess you're right. And his daughter thought for a minute, well, did they kill him too? <laughs> Jesus' message is radical. And I think sometimes we forget that Jesus' message challenges us, challenges us in terms of who we are, challenges everything about us, challenges the world around us, and that is very uncomfortable, not only for us, but for the people around us. Many people in, in the experiences that I have had in the many different places, they have been persecuted because they're actually living out the message of Christ. But you do not have to go far. There are people right here, probably in this very room, where when you came to Christ, there are people who were in your corner, people who you were connected to, who ostracized you, who turned their back on you, who did not understand what this was about, and it became an issue. And so no matter if it's just folks who don't understand you know, what this message is about, and, and they give you ridicule because they know the old you, um, and they're not used to this new you, and so they try to pull you back into the old you, or the extreme situation where, hey, this message that you're trying to live out actually causes you to run afoul of the society around you and be killed and pay the ultimate price. God's message is alive. It can be quite disruptive to us. Not disruptive because God is an author of confusion. The Bible says that's not true. But disruptive because we live in a fallen world. Everything that the world has is marked by sin. And God's word is about righteousness. It's about trusting him. It's about moving according to his principles, and that challenges everything around us. So how do we deal with the reality that, hey, but we've got Jesus' word, we've got God's word, we've got this message, and we, we have it, and we want to actually implement it into our lives. And I think too often we develop a sort of watered-down version of Jesus and Jesus' message, 
because it's uncomfortable to really look at, okay, what is Jesus truly calling us to? What is Jesus really challenging us with in his word? And I think we err on the side of settling for a watered-down, milk-toast version of, of Jesus and his message. And I think even with, with the holiday tomorrow, that's a, that's a good example of what we do a lot of times when there's a message that we're very uncomfortable with, and so we sort of water it down so that we can deal with it, so that we don't have to change, so it doesn't have to challenge us. We can sort of be okay and feel okay about who we are. And of course, yes, I'm talking about Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday, because if we really think about that, um, I was not around when he was alive, but many of you were. Martin Luther King Jr.'s holiday, we are focused on, wow, here's a fellow who actually struggled for racial equality and civil rights. And absolutely, those are things that should be celebrated. But if the truth be told, Martin Luther King Jr., that was not even half of what he actually talked about. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about three things. He talked about, yes, racism is a problem, but he also talked about materialism is a problem. When you put profit before people, how that could actually be a problem and a detriment to a society. But he also talked about militarism because it was the Vietnam War era and the U.S. was involved in the Vietnam conflict and how that actually ended up being a very negative thing. And he talked about in 1967 how the U.S., and he actually said this, was, was one of the biggest purveyors of violence in the world as a result of how it was handling that conflict. That was a very uncomfortable message. Many, many people had a problem with that. And I am talking about many African Americans. They did not want him to talk about those things. They were okay with, okay, let's just deal with discrimination. But when God has gotten a hold of you and you see God's principles and you try to actually live those out, it causes you to look at all of life and it challenges everything. And he spoke about those things. And ultimately, he paid the price for it with his life. And so now we're faced with a situation where, okay, we have a holiday because, yes, we've made some changes as a country, and these are good changes. But if he were alive today, and he looked out and looked at the world, what would he say? That critique is still there in his message, so we have to act like it's not there. We have to develop a version of his message that we can sort of get with, because it is going to challenge a lot of things. This is Martin Luther King Jr. He's talking about maybe three things. Jesus is talking about everything in life. Jesus is challenging every aspect of our lives. Jesus' message is the message that did result in him being crucified. It is a radical message, not because God is about disruption, but because God's word is alive and is trying to call us to him out of sin. So with that, I want us to try to keep in mind as we go through this uh, passage of scripture, um, Jesus' message is radical. It is challenging the people who are hearing it. And it can be quite uncomfortable to those around, and it can make people feel very uncomfortable. Because when we relook at some scriptures that we've looked at before with that in mind, I think we can learn some things that sometimes it flies over our head, or sometimes we miss it because we settled for more of a watered-down version of the passage, but we got to put it in its context to see, wow, actually, Jesus is actually really challenging us, challenging some things that if we apply it today, there's that same challenge, and it is uncomfortable. So we're going to look at Martha and Mary. We're going to look at a passage that I think we've all looked at before. I know when Pastor Ernie was here a couple weeks back, um, he mentioned this as well. Um, but in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. This is a passage about two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha and Mary show up a number of times in Scripture, three in particular. Their brother is Lazarus. Now, we all know that Lazarus is the person that Jesus raised from the dead. Jesus actually spent a good amount of time with Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. When Jesus would travel around, he would often stop by their home. This is a place that was not far from Jerusalem. So there are at least three different occasions in Scripture where it has Jesus actually at Mary and Martha's home for various occasions. So we're going to look at one of these occasions um, and look at it a little bit differently maybe than we've looked at it before. So if we start in Luke chapter 10, verses 38, 
It says, now, as they went on their way, he entered a certain village, he being Jesus, where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks. So she came to him and asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, which will not be taken away from her. We all remember this passage. Yes? Yes. This is a passage which I think most of us can read and, and, and really get, no, there's a real important message here, um, because honestly, here's a unique thing that I have experienced about this church. Being in this church for the past, how long, eight years, Patty, have we been here? Eight years, we've been here eight years, which for some of you, that's like nothing, right? But to me, that's a long time, because I didn't, I've never lived anywhere long at all, a military kid, every two years, I'm someplace new. So eight years in one place is quite significant for me. But here's what's, here, here's what's been true, but very unique, about our congregation and my experience of it. I've been in a lot of churches, and there's this saying that in, in most churches, you know, 10% of the people do about 90% of the work. Anybody heard that? Yeah? Um, ever since we've been here, I was always amazed at just how involved so many people from the congregation are in the different ministries and aspects and just activities of the church. I'm like, this is a really unique situation. We, we have a group of folks who, you know what, when, when there's an event on this night, they're going to show up. They're going to be there to support one another. They're going to be there. That's rare. Okay? You, are, you are a rare group of folks. Um, and I do think when people come in to visit, when people drop by, it shows. There's a connectedness there. When we first came here, it was very evident and obvious. This is, this is the character of this church. When you have people who are doers, people who are willing to, hey, yeah, if this is what's going on, let's do it. I think a lot of times we can hear this passage and we can relate ourselves to Martha. Okay, here's somebody who, who got too caught up in the doing so that she started to miss the message of Jesus and, and she got upset with her sister and we have to be careful that we don't get so caught up in the doing of things that we miss what God is trying to communicate and convey to us. And I think that is an excellent message. I think that is absolutely true. But what has helped me to actually get a little bit more out of this is to, to step out of my own cultural lens of this and, and try to put on a different cultural context lens. We look at this from a very Western or U.S. context. We do things. But let's look at it maybe from a bit more of an Eastern context, because that fits a little bit more with their context. When I was in graduate school, when I was at Fuller, um, I had a roommate. My roommate, um, Chris, good fella, um, still keep up with him and his family today. Um, Chris is, I think he is second generation Chinese. And Chris, as we went through Fuller, um, I got to know his family. I got to hang out with them quite a bit and go down to San Diego. And Chris started to date um, the woman who would eventually marry, Sandra. And Sandra um, was Japanese. Now, I grew up in Japan. Uh, I grew up in Japan for four and a half years. And so I'm a little bit familiar with the culture. Um, but Sandra's family was not necessarily Japanese from Japan. They were Japanese from Hawaii. And that is a little bit different. So Hawaii, I got a real education on that culture. When we would go to Sandra's house, no matter what the occasion was, her mom fed us, and there was always enough food for an army. The emphasis on food and hospitality and taking care of the guests and making sure that there was a gift brought every time they came I was not accustomed to this, but this is what they did. And I had to figure out, this was my challenge, because we went over there quite a bit. How do I not overeat anytime I'm there? And here's, this is a real challenge. They would not let your plate go empty. 
as soon, it would never go empty. Believe me, as soon as it got low, she was piling more food on your plate. There was no way to say no. So no is not an option, and so you just have to continue to eat. I had to figure out, okay, how do I navigate this? So I had to watch other people and see how they deal with this. So you eat slowly. You don't eat quickly, if, unless you want to eat four different helpings. So you eat slowly, and so by the time everybody's gotten through a couple of helpings, because you're not going to get away without a couple of them, then, okay, we've been here for about an hour and a half or two hours, I kid you not, um, and now we can move on and do something else. So keep in mind, this is the type of cultural context that we want to consider when we're actually looking at passages like this. It is one that is very focused on hospitality, how you actually treat guests and visitors. There's tremendous emphasis on that, even today in many cultures, which is quite different from us. In other words, if you come over to my house, now Patty's going to take care of you, but I might not. I might forget. <laughs> I, I just may figure, you, oh, you must have eaten before you got here. Because <laughs> and that's very, very different. That is very, very different. So if we keep in mind tremendous emphasis on hospitality, tremendous emphasis on how you treat guests and people who come into your home, and then we consider that we have a lady, Martha, who is practically, probably the head of her household. She is the woman of the house, so there are expectations there, not just for hospitality of guests, but she's got a role as the woman of the house as well. And now you have not just a normal guest or visitor to feed, you've got a very distinguished guest who's coming by, a rabbi, Jesus. The distinguished guest is not coming by himself. He's coming with at least 12 other people, at least. So now you've got at least 13 extra appetites to contend with, and they didn't have cell phones and telephones. So you don't often have prior warning. They're coming. You just have, okay, they're coming, and I don't know how much time you have, but they're coming to your house. And so you go into, okay, we have to make sure that people are taken care of. We have to make sure that there's going to be some food for folks. And this is where Martha went. There was tremendous expectation because of the culture in terms of hospitality. There's tremendous pressure probably that she also put on herself, given how distinguished this cadre of people who come into our house were. That led to quite a situation for Martha. It was this sandwich between expectation in terms of hospitality and how to fulfill that role that she had, and then this distinguished number of guests, and so I want to make sure I do this well, and that became a runaway train of stress and pressure, and that is just something that, to this day, we put ourselves under, and it plays out today just like we see it play out with her. If we look at Martha's response, how did she respond when she was under that pressure and it started to get to her? First thing that we notice about Martha in her response, she became irritated, frustrated, angry with her sister Mary. She became irritated and angry with the people around her because in her mind, hey Mary, we've got all these people to feed, you're supposed to be helping, you know the social expectation, and now you're not. Mary was off sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. When we get frustrated, I can only give you, this, this, is, this is my two cents as a psychologist to you. Okay? <laughs> Please be careful. Please be careful. The decisions that you make, your actions that you make from a place of frustration are the ones that actually make things worse a lot of times. When we get into a place where we've got, you know, things to do, we've got pressures, we've got demands, but then we also then put on top of that, okay, our own pressure, because we all have standards, we want to do it a certain way, and then that starts to get to us, and we live under that pressure. Trust me, your tolerance for the things that you always tolerate in the people around you starts to shrink. Your tolerance for their stuff starts to narrow, which means they are no different than they ever were but you think they're actually the worst people in the world because the things that you normally tolerated, they are now getting under your skin in ways before because your tolerance is low because you're highly stressed. This is why we say never 
make important decisions from a place of high stress. Just don't do that. People quit their jobs. People get divorces because they feel like the job is horrible. They feel like the person is just the worst person in the world. And I can almost guarantee you nine times out of 10, that person is no different than they ever were. You are. That job is more stressful than it ever was. You cannot tolerate it anymore. And then they leave, and then they go back to a place of normalcy. And they feel like, oh, I can tolerate it now. And then they realize, what have I done? I've hurt somebody. I've quit a good job. And then they have a problem at that point. And so just keep in mind that, hey, we can see how pressure and stress actually starts to affect us. And what Martha did with this was she got upset with the people around her, her sister. But then she actually then went to Jesus. And what did she say when she went to Jesus? When she actually then confronted, is really probably a better way to, to understand kind of how she came on the scene with Jesus, Martha's first accusation, because it was an accusation, was, God, don't you care that my sister is not helping and leaving me to do all this work? That's her intro statement to her distinguished guest. <laughs> and then she tries to tell Jesus what to do. Make Mary get up and help me. That is the template for what not to do. <laughs> okay. This is the template for, the Bible has a lot of things in terms of this is how you pray. This is how you approach God. This is one template for, okay, this is, this is not happening here. This is not the thing to do. When we go to God with our diagnosis of our problem and how, what we think the problem is, and then our conversation with God is not, okay, Lord, help me to humble myself, but God, here's what I need you to do. There's something off with that. But we don't see it. We really don't see it because we're acting out of our stress and our frustration. And when we're under it, that's how it is. And even though, let me just say, a lot of times we look at Martha and say, okay, yeah, Martha's having a problem here. There are some things that Martha still did well. Out of Martha's stress, she actually went to Jesus first. She went to Jesus first. And you know what? She had a wrong conception of what the problem was. She was upset. She accused Jesus of forgetting about her, things that we often might do when we're highly stressed and under, under pressure. Um, but you know what happened? Martha, Martha. Jesus corrected that. And the, Jesus, the only reason that Jesus was able to correct that is because Martha actually came to him with that. I, I, I think about this in terms of, here's an illustration that, that really helps me understand this piece. So Rochelle, learning to ride a bicycle. For those of you who had kids and you taught them how to ride bicycles, I think this is very common. Kids are afraid to get on the bike usually. And so you have to help them say, you know what, I just need you to get going. I'll hold it, but get going. And then you'll see that you can actually do this. You'll be able to balance. But, but a lot of times Rochelle was afraid that, you know, that she would fall or that she would you know, run into the wall, that she would crash into something. And so she would just sort of sit there. This is a lot like us and God. If we actually just get going, if we actually just start to move in a direction at all, God can course correct it. Just like I would help her steer away from a wall if she just got moving, God does the same thing with us. When we look at what Martha is doing here, Martha is at least going to the Lord with her real concern, and this is how I truly feel, God. And you know what? Jesus is faithful to respond to that with a gentle correction to get her going in the right direction. And I think we can take some things from Martha that, okay, that's a challenge. We might not want to fall into that. But we also have to take some things from Martha and say, you know what, but she is doing some things right. She's got a relationship there. And she's willing to go to God out of how she truly feels about things. And God responds to that. That's Martha. That's Martha. Sometimes we forget to look at Mary in this. I think there's a real important lesson and a real challenge when we actually look at Okay, how is Mary operating in this situation? If we look at, let me pull up. First of all, I would say it this way. A lot of times I have read this and thought, well, Mary's sitting down on the job. How many people have gotten that impression when they've actually read this one? Like, it's easier to sit and listen than it is to try to do a bunch of stuff to feed at least 13 people. 
That seems intuitive. Oh, Mary, you got the easy job. Uh, I'm rethinking that as I read these things and try to look at it from their context. All the pressure and all the expectation that Martha experienced because she knew my role as a woman, my role in terms of being in this house, distinguished guest, those were ingrained. She knew those things. Those were, those were sort of unspoken but very real rules. Mary had that same ingrained sense. Those same rules applied to Mary as well. She was not oblivious to that. But Mary's response was very different than Martha's response. Mary, it says, sat at the feet of Jesus, listening. What does it mean to sit at the feet of Jesus, listening? Let me take it out of that context and say it this way. What does it mean to sit at the feet of a rabbi and listen? Back then, when this would happen, they're not listening for listening's sake. They're not getting an education just so they can learn something new and say, oh, that's, that's interesting. When they sat at the feet of a rabbi, they actually were saying, hey, I actually want to be educated because I want to become a rabbi too. That's what it means to sit at the feet of a rabbi. When you look at um, Acts 22, Paul um, when he had to defend himself against Jews who were accusing him of, hey, your message is disruptive, preaching the message of Jesus once again, and not only that, you've brought in Gentiles, non-Jews, into the temple and defiled it. One of the things that Paul actually says is, hey, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarshish. I'm from Cilicia, and I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, the rabbi. Sitting at the feet of a rabbi means hey, here's my education process, and therefore I, too, am a teacher. That's the process by which they became teachers. Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus was not something that women necessarily did. That was something that men did, because what it was really conveying was, hey, I'm going to take my place as a soon-to-be teacher of the kingdom of God. And this is what Mary chose to do. Now, Keep in mind, I looked at this and said, wow, so what must that be like for Mary to be doing that? The Bible does not necessarily say this, okay? It doesn't, it, it's silent in some areas. But I'm thinking in my head, okay, I study human behavior. Here's what it could be like for a lot of people if they're in a situation like that. I know that there's tremendous expectation and pressure, there's a lot of guests that need to be fed. I'm a part of this household. My sister expects me to help her. I love my sister. But there is something about Jesus and what Jesus is saying that is drawing me and compelling me to break out of that and come and sit down in a room full of men and listen. And not just listen because, hey, this sounds good, but listen because we need to be taught because we too someday are going to be in the role of sharing this message. She was probably full-on aware of the ramifications of what she was doing, in the sense that, wow, the men probably did notice, wow, what is she doing here? And she still had to pay attention because it was about her and Jesus. She probably had a sense that, wow, my sister is going to be upset, but it was about her and Jesus. Mary didn't necessarily have an easy job. Mary had to go against a lot of the expectations of everybody around her in order to respond to Jesus and what Jesus actually had her do. And Jesus actually affirmed her sitting at his feet. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk an illustration here that might get me in trouble with my wife, okay? <laughs> Thank you. I did not clear this with her before. I don't think Mary did this out of brashness. I think Mary did this out of, okay, Lord, I, I'm supposed to be doing this, but you know what? Here, here's, here's what I feel like you know, you're really having me do, so okay, here we go, and it's going to make some people upset. I think that was probably more the attitude. When I first met Patty, when, when, you, when you've met your spouse, your significant other, a lot of the stories are like, oh, I saw them from across the room, stars, I knew it was the person. <laughs> Here's how I met my wife, okay? 
I show up in Southern California. I'm not from here. I come from Arkansas. I've been living there for a couple years. Arkansas is the South. The part of Arkansas that I lived in is the Ozark Mountains. So it's more than just going to, if you want to go to where, I'm actually, where I actually came here from, you have to make two trips. One trip from here to the Ozark Mountains in Arkansas, and the other trip is a trip back in time, because that is what it's like. It is really not up to time. There was no phone. They had a party line, and I don't know if you know what that is. There was no paved roads. There was the nearest pay phone to me was 17 miles away. We, have, we had to communicate with each other by walkie-talkie, CB, because we're in the mountains. I mean, signal, signals didn't get there. That was how remote it was. What and year was this? this was 1994, and I lived there for two years. So when I show up in LA from, you know, really coming out of 1940, I, I thought it was wonderful. And I met a bunch of great people because we all started Fuller together, so these are going to be my classmates. Um, but a lot of them were women. That's, I didn't complain. That was not a problem. Um, but I noticed that there were just not a lot of guys in the program that I was in. I'm like, okay, there's about five guys. And so one day in the beginning, I'm, I'm talking to another fella, um, and it's me, me and him talking, me and him talking. And Sitting next to him is Patty. And we're in a conversation, and I think I say something to him, and she actually responds. <laughs> as though I was talking to her, but I'm actually not talking to her. <laughs> what my initial impression was, was, who does she think she is? That was my initial impression, because... I'm coming from a context where men kind of just talk to men and women talk to women, and it's, it's very defined in terms of how these roles go. And I, and I was in that for a good couple years. And now I show up in L.A., and here I have somebody who's from Chicago, raised very differently, and she just jumps in my conversation with another guy. And I was not impressed with that. <laughs> but God affirmed something because here we are today, Okay. <laughs> And I think in a very similar way, when you are responding to what God is having you do, sometimes the response that people will have to that around you is, well, who do you think you are? Because it does cut against the grain. It does go against the expectations. Sometimes the expectations that people have for you, but sometimes the expectations that you even had for yourself. You have to lay all that at the feet of Christ. And you have to move forward with that. Let's look at the other two passages where Mary is mentioned because it is the same way with Mary in every time. This is not necessarily an easy road that Mary has. If you look at John chapter 11, verses 32 and 35. Mary's brother, Lazarus. We all know the story. He died. He got sick. Mary and Martha said, hey, our brother is sick. Let's send the message to Jesus. If Jesus comes, he can heal our brother. They send the message to Jesus. Jesus delays, intentionally delays. So he doesn't show up. By the time Jesus finally does show up, Lazarus has been dead for four days. So Jesus actually is coming. And what's the first thing that happens in, in chapter 11? I'm going to paraphrase it here, but you can actually look it up and, and read it. Martha goes out to actually meet him. Martha takes this initiative. Hey, Jesus is coming. Let's go. And Martha has this conversation. Hey, our brother's dead. Had you been here, you know, you could have saved him, but he, he, he's passed away now. Well, they have, they have an exchange, and, and Martha goes back home. Um, and Martha goes back home with a particular message from Jesus for Mary. And she tells her sister, hey, the teacher, he's calling for you. And right then and there, Mary gets up, goes to Jesus, and what it says is she knelt at his feet. So once again, Mary at Jesus' feet. And again, Jesus, had you been here, you could have saved our brother. Mary is in her grief. When Mary is at the house, she is there with other people who are mourning with her. They are there to console and support her. When she gets the word and the call from Jesus, 
she gets up and she responds right away, and she just has to go. What is the response to the people around her when they just see her get up suddenly and go? If you look at verses 32 through 45, what it's actually saying is they were confused. They thought that, wow, she's going to be going. Maybe she's going to the tomb to mourn there. And so they get up to go with her because it's their job to console her. But when you look at verse 45 in chapter 11, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was not just about, okay, Lazarus needs to be raised from the dead. There are some people who need to witness this and therefore believe as a result of that. How does he get that crowd there? This is the same crowd who were the people who were there to console Mary. So that when she got up and they thought she must be going to mourn at the tomb, let's go with her, and she went to Jesus instead, they were right there with her. That's how the crowd got there. That's how God arranged it so that there's going to be people here when I raise Lazarus and they see this and then they're going to believe. Mary was the messenger who brought people to Jesus Christ by being obedient to the word. But the expectation that people had for Mary in that time was, oh, she's supposed to be mourning and she's probably going to mourn over here. And it was confusion. But Jesus made it all straight. Look at the other time where Jesus and Mary interacted. In John chapter 12, same Mary, this is the lady who anoints Jesus' feet with the very expensive perfume, the oil. We're familiar with this story. It's around Passover time right before, um, and they've all gathered for the Passover meal. And it says, Martha is serving. Martha's got a gift. Okay? But it says about Mary, she came in, she had this expensive perfume jar, takes about a year's wages to buy this. She broke it, she anointed Jesus with it, and she ended up wiping Jesus' feet with her hair. This is that Mary. The response to Mary when she did this from the disciples was not, this is a good thing, Mary. The response to Mary was, that was expensive. You could have sold that, given that money to the poor, and done a lot of good. She was criticized and chastised. Mary is following Jesus' command. She is being prompted by God to do these things. It says in that passage, it is God who then affirmed, number one, God protected her. He said, hey, you guys, pipe down. She's doing this because she's preparing me for my burial. Whenever this story is going to be told, this is going to be told and she's going to be remembered for this. Jesus affirms what she's doing again. But let's keep in mind, though, what Jesus is having her do, what God is actually leading her to do, causes her to erase the ire, the frustration, the criticism of the people around her initially, and they come against her. Jesus responds and straightens it all out. But this is the role that Mary seems to have, always at his feet, but always being asked to move in a direction that is against the grain, things that are going to make people upset, make them confused, make them uncomfortable, but Jesus has her back. Some of us, dare I say, probably have sort of preconceived ideas of what your role in life should be. And please don't hear me to say that there's anything wrong with you following that. But some of you probably also have experienced, are experiencing, or will at some point experience the call of God in such a way that goes counter to, well, I didn't ever see myself doing this. Some of you have people around you who have expectations for you. And as long as you follow those expectations, everything is fine until you don't. But God is calling you in a way that if you were to respond to Jesus' call, it's going to go against those expectations, and you have a lot of questions to answer. You have a lot of things to contend with. I can only encourage you, listen to Jesus. I don't say this lightly, okay, because on, on one hand, I, I think we've all seen how, you know what it's like when somebody gets so in touch with God, they think, and they think God is having them do something, and it's really whack, and, but you can't tell them anything because they think that, okay, now you represent the devil because I think God is telling me to do this. 
That's not what Jesus is doing here, okay? Jesus is saying, even when people get upset with Mary, especially the people who are the disciples, the people in the church, eventually they see, oh no, Jesus affirmed this, God affirmed this, this is right. God brings them around, God takes care of that. If you are out there on a limb doing things and the people around you, especially the Christians around you, are like, you know what, this is not quite, and that is a consistent message, I would say, listen, <laughs> listen, God gives us each other for correction, for things like that. We, we do need the input from each other. Listen to God, but how God operates and how God, God moves, God does handle it. God keeps the unity of the body. God addresses those things. However, there are some times where, yes, sometimes it is the people in the church who might be the very ones that try to hold you back, who might actually say the disparaging things. That is actually the issue. And sometimes you have to be very in touch with, okay, but Lord, this is true, this is your word, this is how I know that you're calling me, and you still move forward. When we're talking about Jesus' message being radical, being very uncomfortable, this is what we're talking about. Mary and Martha is not just a story about, hey, don't get caught up in busyness. Mary and Martha is a story about when social convention, when social expectation takes you one way, but God, God calls you another way, go with God. That is what this is about. When Martin Luther King came on the scene and said, you know what, the Bible preaches this, and this is not what I'm seeing in our society. We can go along with it, or we can go with God. And he went with God. And did God take care of it? God approved what he did. Ultimately, though, it cost him. Jesus' message cost him as well. There is a cost to living out that message that God calls us to. But the reward? Incomparable. Incomparable. So, Mary's response to Jesus, over and against expectations of other people, I think is a model for us. We're at a time and a season in our church where, okay, we, we're waiting for the next person who God is going to send us to fulfill that role of being a pastor. Now, I'm not saying, hey, you should, you should be the pastor. God has to tell you that. And then that has to be affirmed by the church and the elders. I mean, there's a process for that. But God might be moving you into a position at this time to say, you know, maybe you might want to step out in some new ways. Now, if this is the first time you're hearing this and I'm putting this idea in your head, then I am not actually talking to you. But if God has actually put this on your heart and I'm affirming it, please pay attention to what God is leading you to do. Some of you, I would imagine, have beautiful talents and singing voices. And you know what? God probably is telling you, hey, Maybe worship and ministry is something you might want to, I'm saying might want to, but when God is saying it, God is actually trying to move you into something. Pay attention to that. Oh, well, how will that fit? You know, that's not necessarily my schedule and da-da-da. I would say listen to the Lord. When I look at my own self, and, and <laughs> so those who are in the Bible study with, with, at, at Mike's house, um, they, they, they may remember because I talk about this, when I, I've spent a lot of time, a lot of the past seven years, traveling quite a bit. One of the things that I told God, I was Martha. I was Martha at one point in my life. And this was probably when I was a senior in high school. And I said, God, I will do anything for you. I will go any place you want me to go. I will preach your word. Except, do not send me someplace when I have a family. I want to be able to do it without dragging a kid and a wife through, you know, God-forsaken places, and it's difficult for them. I'm telling God what to do in terms of setting the course of my life. That's a Martha sort of a thing. God is funny because, you know what, for a lot of years, I didn't go anywhere until I got married. <laughs> and when I got married, God said, now you're going to go. And you know what? God, God is gracious. God understands my concern because I didn't drag my wife and daughter through the Middle East, Africa, and all these places. It so happened that I could go for a week or two and come home, and then go for a week or two, and they still had to deal with that piece of it. But, but God understood my concern, but God's plan actually is the one that prevailed, and I needed to go. 
And so I'm just saying, sometimes we come against the idea because our preconceived ideas is, oh, this will never fit. I just don't see how this will happen. I have some real concerns here. God understands. God is absolutely gracious and faithful in that to, to, to address those needs. But ultimately, God is the one who will fix it, who will make it happen, who will sustain you. For some people, it is a, it is a high cost, but God is still in control. I think when we actually look at the passages, there are so many passages when we look at what Jesus is saying, we can see that, you know what, these are things that are hard things. We have to sort of come up with sort of a milk toast, whitewashed version of it in order to sort of be okay with it. But, but Jesus says some hard, challenging things. Jesus asks us to do some things that are quite difficult sometimes. Be bold and courageous. Not brash, bold. Be willing, like Martha, to go in there with the men, sit down, listen to Jesus, and learn. Be willing to do whatever Jesus has called you to do, trusting that he'll handle it. With that being said, I, one of the things I actually told Patty was, um, I want to make sure that I don't actually preach long because I have a tendency to do that because I can go off in a lot of different directions. And I said, give me a signal if I start to preach too long. I didn't get the signal, so I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> she was just getting ready. I guess so. Okay. Um, let's reflect and pray for a bit um, if we can uh, move into this time. For those of you who God really has put something on your heart, maybe God has been speaking to you um, in new ways, but it may not necessarily always fit in terms of what you envision for yourself. But, but you do feel a pull from God. You feel God's prompt with it. I would encourage you to just consider <coughs> that God is in control and God's got it. God has got it. Find whatever you need to find in order to root and plant yourself in where God is leading you. If everything is fine, absolutely. Encourage someone else. But we're in a season here in our congregation um, where we're going through this as a congregation um, and even outside of the church. There are probably areas in, in each of your lives where you know, maybe God is asking you to sort of move against the grain in some ways for his glory, for his glory. Um, let's be willing to do that. If anybody wants prayer as, as the praise team leads, um, I'll be here. Patty, can you come up as well? Um, there are a number of prayer requests and needs. We'll pray for you for any of them. Um, but if anybody actually feels promptings and leadings from the Lord, we want to join you in that.